It's mid-July in 2019, and we are sitting on the porch at Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar. Alan and I just saw the Hudson Warehouse production of The Man in the Iron Mask, The D'Artagnan Romances, Part 3, adapted from the novel by Alexander Dumas and written by Suzanne Lee. It is a world premiere playing at the Soldiers and Sailors Monument off Riverside Drive and West 89th Street. It's a tragic story of romantic and fatherly love, uh, clearly told by actors who know how to play both broadly and realistically in this open-air theater venue. Despite the vastness of this outdoor space, these actors can create intimate and tragic moments. Zachary Stewart of Theater Mania writes, quote, these are some of the best performances I've ever seen at Hudson Warehouse, and I totally agree. I want to congratulate Nicholas Martin Smith, who directed the play and performed Aramis. I have seen wonderful performances that were beautifully staged and costumed by this production company, but this telling of the Dumas story of a king done wrong is the Hudson Warehouse's best yet. It's, it, it's great, and I recommend it, and it plays through July. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was, um, it was quite fabulous, and we got a great seat right up there close. We were actually on the stage. Off to the side. Off to the side, and amongst the uh, sword fights. I, uh, yeah. I was a little concerned that uh, one of us was getting our eyes poked. Alan kind of backed off at one yeah. point. Yeah, the swords were getting kind of close, but... Not they, really, though. They, they, they knew what they were doing. Yeah, they are very good. The sword fighting was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And I, I knew, it just felt different. It was a different quality that they're, they're doing. And Suzanne Lee, who wrote it, um, put together a, a beautiful piece uh, to tell the story of the man in the iron mask. So go, so go see it if you can. BCR recommends it. And this is BCR number 50. We are going to be talking about local theater in our wonderful community, on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, of course. And so, here we go. <laughs> That's Wade Ripka and the Eastern Blockheads. We, um, we love to start that. Gets our energy up. Um, so the Hudson Warehouse produces its shows under the majestic Soldiers and Sailors Monument right off West 89th Street and Riverside Drive. And on BCR number 25, we explored the structural problems with the monument with New York City Park officials and experts. And recently, I spoke with one of those experts, Jonathan Kuhn, He's the director of Art and Antiquities of New York City Parks. And he said they were really no further along in getting the $30 million they need to do the repairs on the Soldiers and Sailors Monument. Uh, they're looking to Manhattan Borough President Gail Brewer and the national government for funds, as well as private funding. But it looks like the Soldiers and Sailors Monument is going to continue to be gated uh, from the public into the foreseeable future. So I don't, I don't see any... I don't see any movement on it, okay, and uh, according to that, I, I just hope they can get something going with it. I wonder how long that monument is going to remain standing. You know, pieces of it have been falling off. Yeah, yeah, and um, the um, Hudson Warehouse, they use part of the stairs that's uh, being gated off for their audience, and they, I, I talked to um, um, Nicholas Martin Smith, he said that he, they're losing like hundreds of dollars wow. in contributions because there's maybe 50 or 60 people that he could have, set, that could have set. sat up there on those upper level. Right. Um, so. Yeah. That's, well, 
hopefully they'll get the money that they need and it, it'll get done. I'm sure it'll happen. Do you, do you have any? Do you have anything to spare? They only need thirty million. Thirty million. Well, we can. I can give our coins. We'll save our coins for them. I have a whole box of. You know, I have a whole if little everybody in the city just gave their coins, it All might. Right. All right. Here's an idea. There's an idea. I'm gonna take a sip of my beer. Let's 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 think about that. So if everyone in the city, right, were to take that little like can or jar, or bucket bucket of coins because we all do that we throw we take our coins out of our pocket we throw it into a you do place. it i think a lot of people do it i know a lot of people do it i don't do it and then it's like when you get like 50 or 60 dollars in coins you go and put them in little packages and take them to the bank and and, right. and, and, you, and you cash it in well what if they took all those coins and just kind of like brought it to the soldier and sailors monument exactly that's what i just said i i, I, I think well, that's I, what i just said but I, i'm thinking it's like they actually take it there and they like put it there. They, it might destroy the monument because it's oh. pretty heavy. Well, maybe they'll put a bucket there. Today's Bar Crawl Radio guest is Hazen Kyler. Uh, we also have uh, an actor in Hazen Kyler's troupe uh, named Spencer Scott, and we will introduce both of them. Uh, Hazen is a young man who has a multifaceted theater art resume. Hazen Kyler is the artistic director and founder of the Greenhouse Ensemble. According to Hazen, the ensemble is a membership-based artistic greenhouse focused on cultivating a positive, judgment-free environment where artists of many disciplines create fully realized work. With us also is Spencer Scott. He is a resident actor with the Greenhouse Ensemble. Uh, Spencer has worked with the Russian Arts Theater and Studio and the Boomerang Theater Company. And he is acting in the lead role of the ensemble's upcoming production of Romeo and Juliet. And there is a good possibility that I'll be working with Hazen on what we feel is going to be an important project. And we'll talk about that at the end of this BCR episode of mm-hmm. Upper West Side Radio. So, um, welcome both. Thank you. Thank Hazen you. Kyler yes, welcome. and uh, Spencer Scott. It's and wh- and what are you drinking? The Lakeside Ithaca Lakeside Lager. Nice. Logs. You're like I like APAs. They've got some great APAs here at yeah. Gephards, and we are at Gephards on the We porch. are Gephards Beer um, Culture Bar. Yeah, I tried out the um, uh, an IPA that comes from Belgium, and it was kind of lemony. That's I didn't this. Like it. Yeah. No, no, no. Oh, you mean it's they let Hommel, you try something called Hamel? And then uh, I tried the Thin Man, and that was okay. It was a little thin. Uh huh. <laughs> appropriately named. And then I got this KCB. And you're happy? I'm happy. Okay, good. I'm, I'm happy with it. So. <laughs> and I'm having a little Tito's. A, a Tito's. And with, some water. That's my oh, favorite. Okay. Oh, that's yes, my favorite. Yeah. That's my drink of choice. There Tito's. you go. Neat. A little vodka, yeah. Neat. Um, let's get some basic facts. Yes. Hazen Kyler. Yes. C-U-Y-L-E-R. Yes. That's an unusual name. It is. Where are you from? What's your family like? A little background here. So, uh, I'm, I'm originally from Michigan, and... Uh, my, and you went to Michigan State University. I did. I did okay. go to Michigan State University. I just kind of, uh, uh, it was more or less the easy call. I just you applied just to there. one thing and I just got in and went yeah. to it. But it's a good school. It is a good school. Yeah. And it was a really great uh, theater opportunity because at the time they were changing over from what their old faculty was, which was basically a uh, older generations that had been there for like up to 40 years or 50 years even right. and then all of a sudden old. these yeah. <laughs> old, okay. yeah they were old yeah. and so oh. and so 
these younger You're artists from yeah, <laughs> these, these younger artists from New York City came in and they started kind of changing the program right when I, I started. So at the beginning, it was filled with a lot of really talented people forming this this uh, this uh, program, but at the same time, you had something that was totally uh, it was sort of void uh, void of any devoid of any resources so you sort of had to figure everything out as you went along mm -hmm. so you if you wanted to create something you'd, you'd have to kind of uh, uh, sometimes being limited gives you more creativity it forces you to kind of well John Cassavetti said something my, my stepfather worked for him for several years and he said in a, um, a documentary that uh, not having money in particular forces artists to be creative because Correct. you can't just throw yeah. money at something you have to figure out ways around to be he ingenious. is a prime example of that him and his films right uh just just amazing but we kind of got away from your family right so my family uh well from from michigan my name uh comes from my great-grandfather whose name was hazen kai kai kyler he's a baseball player in the uh the 20s and the, wow, and wow. the 30s cool and uh what, what who do you play for he played for the chicago cubs and the oh. pittsburgh pirates wow cool. so he won the world series in 25 nice and, uh, and his name was kai kai kyler yeah his name was kai kai kyler <gasps> and so was play? that a that was that he, a, a nickname yeah, yeah it was okay. it, so there's there's a lot of kind of uh um uh, spec there, there's a bunch of speculation about what his name is. He's he's in the Hall of Fame, and he. Oh, um, we were just there. Yeah. Oh, we you went to, to Cooperstown. We were just. We've yeah. been there a couple times. With our, our son, our son is a crazy huge, about the huge Yankees. Yankees yeah. Fan. yeah. I have another grandfather who was a pitcher for the Tigers. Wow. Also. Wow. But so we have a bunch of baseball stuff, and then I went. I would have changed this whole line of questions. <laughs> yeah. I went, right. <laughs> I went a different route. Um, but uh, Kai Kai came from. Kai Kai. Uh, he was an outfielder, and uh, the the fans and the crowd would would uh, chant Kai Kai, Kai for oh, okay. Kyler. So, okay. so eventually, he got nicknamed. We're Kai. gonna have to look that up. Yeah. Yeah. Harry, our Yankee baseball maven, about Kai Kai yeah. Kyler. That's and and then the other know. one is Eldon Auger. He was a submarine pitcher and won the World Series in '33 for the Tigers. Nice. But he threw directly underhand. Wow. wow. So yeah. not side. He, he, no, not he side. Just, he directly, under. directly. But under. really fast? Yeah, well, when, it, when the ball would, would curve, it would curve up. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so. Cool. Which, which I, I, I hear is kind of impossible, but yeah. I guess I, I, I guess, guess, it, I guess, I guess it's not. So you never got involved in baseball you were I, I was a, you I was, like pressured like you know come on Hazen uh I was I was involved in baseball for a while I was never I was never pressured into baseball my my family and my mom kind of just tossed me into things like uh like a, uh, acting when I was very very young and they pushed and you they, into it they yeah and I didn't really want to my mom put me into things like uh that's not the usual way yeah, no. I it's mean, not, my, well, my, my father would say, no, you're not going to be an actor. <laughs> well, well, so yeah. so in one of your podcasts, you said that your grandfather said, was this, was it Kai Kai? No, this was Eldon. Eldon. Kai Kai died before I was born. Oh, okay. But, uh, he said you should uh, He said go, go to, to business. School. Go, go to, to business yeah, school. Yeah, go to business school. Yeah. Uh, right. But, yeah, and my, yeah, so. So it wasn't, once I, once I decided on acting, which was very kind of uh, definite, I, once I figured out I loved acting in, in high school, there was, no other real um, uh, other option, right. uh, but but they weren't totally receptive to that. My stepdad worked for Cassavetes, who's a filmmaker, and so oh. it was. Uh, what what did he do? What was his? Um, he was an editor. He was a film editor. Yeah, he edited uh, he edited parts of Phases, and then also edited uh, a little bit of uh, um, 
uh, Easy Rider. Right. And, a, and a lot of other little nice. little things from uh, uh, Kyler. That, obviously, that's his. That's Auker. Actually, he's my stepfather. Stepfather. Okay. Auker. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, um, Spencer, I don't want to ignore you here. Yeah. <laughs> I have not you nearly have as family. interesting no. family <laughs> as, <laughs> as Hazen. Uh, I don't think many up. of us do, actually. <laughs> no, I, I I I come from a family of engineers. My dad's an engineer in the city. Oh, that's and cool. My brother's an engineer for planes. Much more useful than baseball players. Yeah. I mean, we all wished we were baseball players. Yeah. But there you go. That didn't happen. So uh, yeah. And where are you from? I'm I'm from uh, Port Washington in Nassau oh, County. Oh, right around. Right. You're, you're not far from home. No, not far from home. And um, I went to Syracuse for a couple of years, and then I started acting um, there, and came and started doing it here, and met up with uh, the Greenhouse Ensemble and Hazen and. Yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't have been doing it too long because you both are quite Very young. young. So, yeah, so yeah. Spencer, did your family, were they okay, cool with you becoming an actor? It was interesting when I made the decision that I was going to leave Syracuse to act full time. And come to the city. And come to the city. Uh, my mom was a little bit more like, no, you have to finish school. And my dad was, he was the one who was like, if this is what you want to do, then do it. Go for it. You got to do it. But don't, don't, uh, don't. Try, don't think you can get away with doing the bare minimum. You have to do it if you're right. going to do this. Well, that's really good advice. That is good yeah, advice. So Go all in. Yeah. So that's if what you're I tell my students. Yeah, my father said, forget school. about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he said, study, if you're going to leave chemistry. school, then yeah. you have to go for it. Yeah. And, and do that's, it. that's what you got to do. Do you think that's you're, great. are you doing it? Yeah. I mean, with the people that I've gotten to work with and uh, all the, from the decision to leave school until now, I wouldn't have met any of the people. I wouldn't have met Hazen if I didn't leave right, school. Right, and I yeah. wouldn't, and I, my goal was to just always be working, whether it was auditioning or in a class or just always working on something at all times. So did you both want to be actors from a very young age or how, what was well, the Hazen first, was pushed what was the first time that you thought, Hey, I'd like to yeah. just actually do this. Uh, it was in high school. My, my my mom put me in, in things like uh, different theater camps or I ended up acting in little things every now and then. But I, I it was very reluctant, basically. She put me in ballet when I was very young, ballet okay. and jazz. I was playing football. And then she said, well, let's take you out of football and put you in ballet. Okay. And, and so I was, I was not uh, Did you get too happy about, about that. that. Uh, yeah, of course. I was the I was one of two guys in the in the thing, and it was you know. But it it it, it I think I was it uh, was very very beneficial. I seem to recall there was a time when when for some reason they were taking football players and teaching them ballet. That somehow was it was that it? was basically the way that she got me into it. I think that's what she, she told you. Yeah, she was like, you know, football players are doing this. This will make you a really good football, football player. player. Okay, yeah. wait a minute. I want to know about your mom. Yeah, <laughs> what, what, what is it? What I mean, was she an actress? Was she a ballet dancer? No, she's a very talented writer. She writes and she doesn't not published, but she writes really. Uh, uh, moving and evocative uh, children's stories. And is wow. there any place anyone can read them? They, well, she has she she has a big kind of archive of all these these stories that not enough people have read. Really, it's mostly me. And when I was very little, right. she would uh, do all these. Oh would wow! Make Most these stories. She gets it out and, there. I mean, blogging is so easy. Right. Yes. No, not a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, and then him. my stepdad's also writing. Is uh, finishing up a novella of his. From. That's right. really interesting. Very you, have nice. a, you have a very creative family. We do. Yeah. We do. What about you, Spencer? Did you always want to be an, an actor from an early age? Uh, I, I don't know when it happened. I, I 
I think it's always something I was interested in doing and I never did. And then when I was about 17 in my senior year, I had a friend who was doing acting like her whole life, every summer show and all that. And she finally pulled me aside and was like, there's this student film, do it. Okay, here, I'm doing this play, do it. Okay. Oh, she and pushed then, you. And then, and she and knew. Did she tell you she was doing it because she thought you were talented? Well, I don't think anybody knew if I was talented or not because I'd never done it. Uh, uh, okay. And then, okay. and then uh, she just was like, "I know you want to try this, but you just haven't got the courage okay. to do it. So I'm going to make you do it." And well, I was clearly, like, "Okay." Well, clearly, clearly, Spencer, you were performing yeah. before. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> right. You were you were doing stuff in the living room or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, you there know. was. I was always like, people. People always were like my friend, and I was always. Just like I would walk down the street, my mom used to tell me when I was five years old, and people would be like, "Hey, Spence," and she'd be like, "Who is that?" I'd be like, "I don't know. I just met him yesterday or something <laughs> like that." Like you're five. That's great. So <laughs> you're uh, five. Yeah. Where are you hanging Where out? Where are you meeting these people? I don't know. I was just outside riding my bike, and I met this guy. You know? oh, yeah. So I gave uh, my card. And yeah. <laughs> we, we we became we very close. We, we bonded. We, uh, uh, we we had a moment. And yeah. So so that and so she pushed me into doing those things, um, and then. Once I got a taste for it, I went to school and was like, I'm going to take every class I can mm-hmm. and just see if this is something I want to do. And I ended up getting to do a show in the Fringe Festival in Scotland. And then I was like, that's oh, it. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah. There you go. I was like, that's it. Um, okay, this is what I'm doing. Well, okay. true confession. Yeah. Alan and I both were um, actors when we were young. At oh. one time. And I'll tell you, we my, um, my the first time I wanted to be an actor, I think <laughs> I was in middle school, I was playing some like crowd person in Julius Caesar. I think I had a line or two. I, I have no idea. And my middle school teacher said, you're very good. And that was it. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. That's kind of I was one of the Indians on the stage in elementary school. And I, I had this thing that I had to hit a drum or something. Right. And right before the actual production, I lost my drum. Uh-oh. And you try to find an Indian drum in uh, in North Carolina. Oh wow. You know, late on the afternoon and Friday we couldn't we went everywhere to traumatized, find traumatized, huh? It yeah. was a tra- it was a traumatic moment. I when I was in um when I was in third grade, one of the first things that we did, or one of the first times that I ever had like a, a kind of lead role in our school production, I was the boogie woogie piano teacher man, and oh, wow. I really liked the mask at the time. So I wore this. Uh, I had this song and stuff, and like a solo stuff, and and so I wore this. I love the mask with Jim Carrey, so I wore this huge yellow zoot suit. <laughs> And so it was. Did you have a big chain? My, my mom made it for me. No, no, no. But but it was. It looked just like the mask. Sounds costume. perfect. It was really Woogie huge. Woogie. Like the mask. Yeah. Like like Jim Carrey. And so and so my mom had to make this from scratch basically. So there was some Velcro on the inside. And I went backstage, and I sat down right before my uh, performance uh, when I'm about to go out in front of the school for the first time. And there's there's you know hundreds of kids who are out in the, this auditorium, yeah. and then all of a sudden I sit down and I hear my cue and I stand up and the velcro on my pants rips, <laughs> and so all of a sudden I'm standing and my pants are falling down and I can't pull them up, oh and so no. I start stuffing my jacket into my pants and I'm just freaking out. I'm ter- I'm like what eight do you years do? old or something wow. like that. And so uh, I hear my cue, I jump on stage, I raise my arms like I'm supposed to, and my pants fall down in front of the entire <laughs> audience. You were all in. 
Yeah, that, and so I think that was probably the moment when I realized okay. that, that I was probably... And the audience active. loved it. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess, yeah. <laughs> if you see a kid jump on stage and all of a sudden his pants <laughs> fall down, it's, it's, that's entertaining. It's, it's that's, gold that's for funny just thinking about it. And so when I, I came back the next day when we, you do a performance in front of the parents and uh, I brought a belt and, and everyone <laughs> saw the belt and they cheered. So uh, was, very good, very of, good. I remember when you had that, you had a situation like that in a dinner well, theater that we did together. Right, we were acting in a dinner theater in Nebraska. Uh, and um, what was it? I, remember it, the I, name of the I play. say we did time in Nebraska. We did time in Nebraska. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm sure you've all had this where you, you, you go out on stage and it's like you know something's wrong. Oh, yeah. Something's not quite right. You don't know what it is. Then you realize your zipper's down. Uh, yeah. <laughs> have you ever had that happen? But the audience was many, giggling many and twittering yeah. and you didn't know and why. I don't know what. And this was a drunk audience because it was a dinner yeah. theater. <laughs> and it's like I, it was just me and, and Becky on the stage and we were playing this love scene. And, uh, and I, 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 well, I'll walk up stage and I'll turn around and I'll pull up the zipper. I went up stage, I turn around and the zipper, the fucking zipper wouldn't come up. Yeah. <laughs> it just wouldn't come up. I was tugging, tugging, tugging. And after a while, the audience was laughing because it wouldn't come up. Finally, I gave it the last big pull and it finally came up and this drunken woman in the back said, now he's got it. <laughs> So, so you, you've gone on stage with your zipper down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, yeah, I don't, I don't remember exactly if the zipper was down, but I've gone on stage with, like, the wrong costume on before. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was like, oh, like, I thought it was like, this scene. Right, and, you're Hamlet, uh, but you have a clown yeah. costume. go out in the wrong costume, and, yeah. you know, and everybody's everybody on stage is looking at you like, what are you doing? What are you this doing? isn't the scene yet. And, <laughs> and I... Oh, <laughs> oh, what do we do now? Yeah. Well, you keep going, don't you? Oh, yeah, you keep going, and then you just make up, I don't know. An exit line. Do something with it. Something get yourself out of there yeah, somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, yeah. With, with it was nice to see you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. There it's you one go. of those things not going to happen in film. Mm. No? No. Yeah. No, because no, all, 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 all of that's Only in the blooper reel. Right, right. Blooper reel's the best. Yeah, right? Um, shall we learn a little bit about the Greenhouse Ensemble? Yes, I'd okay, like that. Okay, let's, let's, let's move yes. on to that. Um, Hazen, you're the founder of the Greenhouse Ensemble. Yes. Um, why did you start this theater company? What are its goals? Mm-hmm. You know, any place you want to start. Yeah. So I, uh, from when I really figured out that I wanted to do acting uh, for forever, um, from in high school, I had always had some project in front of me. So I always had something that I was doing constantly. And then when I went to college, I even I would do community theater before I was even enrolled, and I would, I would do th- those things on the side, and then I would do all the stuff that I did for class and all the productions in college. Then after college, I would go from job to job. I, I, I usually auditioned, but usually those auditions came as recommendations, so it was fairly easy to continue mm-hmm. that kind of momentum. And then I did a show in Atlanta, and, and then I came back to, to New York City, and all of a sudden, for the first time ever, I didn't have anything in front of me. Hmm. I didn't have any job in front of me, and I, uh, I like freaked out basically. Blank space. Yeah, I, I kind of, I didn't know what I was supposed to do at that point. I was still taking classes and everything, but I didn't have one big project. That sounds the, the like the experience of most New York actors yeah. who are just getting here. It's like. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm do you here. Do? So now what? I'm here. Yeah, yeah. Now what? What do yeah. I do? So, so it was kind of this panic attack that started happening, and so I, I realized that, okay, well, I did this at Michigan State. I, I made my own projects. I had people that I worked with. I did a lot of film and stuff like that, and and so I was okay. Well, I'm going to um, make my own work, and so I tried to make a film. It didn't really work out, and then I went to this. Uh, 
this artist retreat at this theater called the Abingdon Theater, which was started, I think, 20, maybe 29 years ago or 25 years ago or something like that. And I knew the artistic director, Jan Buttram, there. She had founded the company, and I went to this art, artist retreat. And at the end of the retreat, this theater that I looked up to, because it had such a really nice, warm community, they, she looked at everybody and said, look, we need you guys to subscribe to us. We need subscribers. We need, we need people to help us with this. We need to bring in more audiences, or we're not going to be able to continue doing this. And so I was poor. <laughs> Yeah. So subscribe I, means give us money. Give us money so that yeah. so that you can you can yeah be a, a subscriber of this theater. You're supporting the theater, and so I went up to her afterward and I said I don't have any money. I, I can't subscribe, but I want to help. So what I could do is volunteer one day a week, right. where I'll come in and I'll I'll help you do stuff. I'll try to to make the theater stronger in whatever way that I can. And she said, okay, great. Well, you can come and you can fold. And we need people to stuff envelopes. We need to do this stuff. And I was basically yeah, like, that's not, not, that's not really what I want to buy. That's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> I meant the fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, but, I, but I said, oh, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to help you with uh, bringing together an audience or maybe marketing or some, something like that. And so she said, sort of a large jump from that, she said, uh, why don't you create a non-union resident acting company for us, like what the Bats are to the Flea? Wow. The Flea Theater obviously has the Bats, which is this resident company that um, it's a bunch of really young people who are non-union, and, and they create their own work and then live inside. The, and it cr- creates a kind what of a great life, idea. lifeblood to the right. theater. Right. And so I said yes. And she said you could come in. She was very sincere, and you could see how much the, the place meant to her. This is when they had the theater at 36th Street. And she said you could come in at, at midnight with people and create work. And that was like, it was really, really exciting to me. And so I went out. I talked to everybody that I knew. And I started trying to figure out, okay, if I'm going to create a, a kind of company here, why? Why create a company? And, and so I started considering, I think, pretty quickly, especially because of that kind of panicked feeling that I had. Uh, I was worried about agents. I was worried about producers. I was worried about people who ran theaters. And, and that there was a lot of tension in some of the work that I was doing where... Uh, you try to please them. Yeah, you try to please them. You try to work really, really hard, and you and for whatever reason, sometimes the work wasn't happening. So a lot of sometimes and when you say the work wasn't happening, you're saying the, the work, your work, my work, my personal work. So and it, I want to talk more about that I idea did of what two, that work is. I did two different plays. One was in Michigan, and then another one was in Atlanta. I think at least the one in Atlanta, I got terrible review. One, there was only one, one reviewer, and I got a horrible, horrible review. Oh. Um, I've had nice reviews too. Oh, so it's one. not oh, it's okay. probably <laughs> great. You had a bad night. No, no, it was. I, I, I think it was. I had, I had some really good nights, and I had some nights that that were legitimately not good. What was um, the play? Master Harold and the Boys. Okay. Oh wow. So it was a, it's a, it's a very serious. I saw but, a little piece of it on your website. Mm, yeah, no, it's there. No, not, not Master Harold and the Boys. I think. Um, oh no, not Master Harold. No, no, you're right. That wasn't there. There's Master Margarita. That's the one I saw. Okay. The other master. Uh, the other master. Very, the other master. Different. <laughs> very, very but, different master. But so what I started to notice was the, it wasn't, I, I was studying like with Spencer at uh, HB Studio with Austin Pendleton and mm. I was doing good work by at least Austin Pendleton stand, standards and the, the work here for some reason wasn't clicking for some, for some reason here and then in another place. And so 
the idea, and at this time I was also studying with this uh, director, Alexei Barago, at the Russian Arts Theater and Studio, and I, I started to, through studying with the Russian Arts Theater and Studio, a lot of the training became about uh, what is theater ethics, uh, which is how you work as an ensemble to, not, to get the best work out of people. And the way you get the best work out of people at the very, very basic level is to not judge yourself. So you don't judge yourself so that your your impulses can feel That's free. Great. And so what I felt in, in these different theaters, and this is not a fault of either of these very, very good theaters, was I felt very judged and constricted. Maybe I was judging myself, whatever was happening. Uh, and so I wasn't doing the kind of work that I was doing when I was working with, for instance, uh, Austin Pendleton, who doesn't judge at all. Uh-huh. Um, and so I wanted to create that environment for artists to be able to create to sort of realize their potential more or less so that was your why yeah that was that was part of the why so it was about that environment and then the next part is a lot of the other restraints that are a part of our system which is like agents producers uh not that there's anything wrong with these people but sort of middlemen Mm -hmm. this business side the business aspect of, of, yes. of acting and, and theater and art and so what I wanted to do was kind of get rid of that corporate grid more or less and allow artists to be able to create the system on their own uh, so that's really hard in, in our in our city our country our corporate world our corporate world yeah it I is because you, you can't do art without money no I mean, you can do it to some extent but at some point, you need that. But you need costumes, you need lighting, you need. Um, you do I need mean, audiences. I would assume that the actors must have some kind of funding. Yeah, there's, and, there, and a lot of that isn't it, because there are really great uh, patrons and people who want to help support the arts, too. Like Susan Macaluso, who we just honored from Goddard. She's, she's an amazing, amazing uh, supportive person for the arts. I also have spent a little bit of time now at the, uh, at the Players Club. And that's a really amazing place for, uh, one, it supports the history of, of theater, mm -hmm. but also it's a lot of people who just want to be around the arts, the people who really appreciate it, who, I mean, i assuming have, have more money than the artists, at least. Or you yeah. look at, like, the Park Avenue Armory, and you look at their donor list and their programs, and it's just, like, a mile long, and they're just putting up great work all the time, you know, and it, it doesn't seem to be constrained by who's producing or what Broadway producer is like wants to do this show and how much money it's going to make because all of them are limited engagement so it's amazing what they're able to do yeah. you know outside of that uh, uh, hey, hey, and, you, and, and um, you also have a podcast and I, I do want to talk a, a bit about the podcast mm -hmm. a little bit but your opening of the podcast uh, I think gets in its name Portrait of an Artist yeah I recommend it. You don't have that many episodes out there, but hopefully right. there's going to be more. There will be more. There, will there be is some high-quality conversations going on there. Oh, thank you. Um, you said that the Portrait of an Artist is a program where we sit down with independent artists of any discipline. Some are well-known. Some are not yet well-known. Good positive thinking yeah. there. <laughs> but all are driven, passionate, precise in their work. Mm -hmm. I, I love the term driven, passionate, and precise Right. in their work. Is there something in that that's the driving force in Greenhouse Ensemble? Everything, I mean, from my, uh, like, being an art, the artistic director in, in terms of the work that I direct and the work that, uh, um, uh, that I believe in, it's about whatever the vision of an artist, whatever they want to achieve, you make sure that everything is intentional. 
So if you're painting, then everything is intentional, and, and in the same way that if you're creating a character, every, ideally, and this is what you strive for under whatever... Explain intentional. Intentional means if, if an actor walks across a stage uh, and they, they go to pick up like a, a glass or they have maybe an itch on their eyebrow or something, that is communicating something yeah. to, about the, the character in, in that, that moment. That there's meaning to that choice that was made. Yeah, it's communicating exactly what there's. There's a um, Larry Moss is is, is a uh, acting teacher in in Los Angeles, and for all the Hollywood stars and stuff. And his book was very very influential to me in when I was in college. And one of the things that he talks about is I don't know if this is in his book or if this is in an interview, but he speaks about Daniel Day Lewis and Meryl Meryl Streep, and and he talks about watching their performances without any sound. So you can see how precise every moment yeah. and every movement yes, is. Yes. So these are not things by chance. Uh, these are This is a, no. a, almost like a sculpture of a, yes. of a character. And um, the so with some, with some uh, acting, you could say, oh, well, it's up for interpretation. Maybe this person meant this, or maybe it meant this. But when you watch Daniel Day-Lewis or Meryl Streep, it, it's not, maybe it could be this, maybe it could be that. No, no it's exactly that. Right. We're watching right. Big Little Lives, this most recent season with Meryl Streep. Oh, yeah, right, right. She's way beyond anything that anyone else is doing in that television show yeah. yeah i don't know if you've seen there's, it there's there's a precision to it and and the way absolute precision you know exa- you know exactly mm-hmm. what's going on inside mm-hmm. this she's woman's scary mind. yeah and she's totally scary the the characters yeah acting technique i mean it started with uh, today's modern acting technique started with stanislavski and and created a system of working and then michael chekhov and and other people took it in different directions one way that michael chekhov talks about is about repeating uh every moment in a play so you um you create a structure for for the actor a precise structure as as uh, as precise as possible so that you're uh Kind of infinite spirit can can go through that. It's similar to uh, Noam Chomsky in his. I think it's a recent book of his. He uh, it was called What Kind of Creatures Are We? And he talks about um, language in in English, for instance. So and structure. So with English, it it has a uh, infinite capacity to express things, but it is not limitless because you you can't express something that's Chinese. Yeah. So you, you create a finite structure that allows for a kind of infinite expression. And that's the same kind of idea in terms of, and I'm talking almost entirely about acting, but I think that it has its translations. For, I think for it has arts. translations in, in all art. Yeah. There's that precision that then can mean something to anyone who looks with, actually looking with intention, yeah. looking with focus, mm-hmm. um, being with the artist. In a way, and you and you deal with uh, different artists, certainly in your podcasts. Um, so far, you've dealt with um, um, a photographer, mm-hmm. and you've dealt with Austin Pendleton, mm-hmm. uh, 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 one of the great American actors with wonderful yes. stories. Yeah. Oh, the best! I totally recommend that if, if, you, if you go go to uh, a um, portrait of an artist. If anything, listen to Austin Pendleton's stories of American theater. Yeah. It's it's really <laughs> wonderful. And then you talk to Rob Rosnowski, who's yes. an acting teacher at Michigan State. Right. And uh, again, if you're an actor, um, I think you would get a lot from that conversation that you that that, that you had with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, th- 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 so there's the, your podcast. 
Did you want to go someplace else with this? Well, I was just wanting to talk to Spencer, too, about sure, his, go ahead. Um, being a member of this company. Yeah. How do you feel about the approach and the, I mean, I, I would assume that, that everybody contributes. Um, yeah, it's, it a, it? it's, a, it's collaboration, but it's um, what you have to do as an actor. And the approach about precision, I think, is the most apt thing. When you talk about precision, actors a lot of times um, try to get away with stuff. And when you are subscribing and really giving yourself over to a vision of a director and not just somebody who's saying, that was good, but somebody who really is creating and telling a story, you have to give yourself over to that precision so that every moment is specifically telling the story. Right. Once you give yourself over to that, it is very freeing because there's a lot you can do within that. Right. Like he's talking about with structure, um, being a member of it is has been amazing. I've been with them for four years, us, four years. How long has the greenhouse ensemble been around? Five and a half. Oh, okay, yeah. all right. I I was in. I met Hazen in 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 Austin's acting class. Uh, he was doing his first ever fully staged production. I auditioned, got a part, and then I've been working with him ever since. Uh, and it's it's a very different way of working than a lot of other directors because a lot of other directors are like, well, you're a good actor, so you'll figure it out, and and you know they don't do much with you and they just like you come in and you say your lines and they're like, okay, right. And, but, and so directing is really more about casting. Yeah, for those directors. Yeah. Uh, but then when you have somebody who's really creating a vision of something, there's so much more that goes into it, and it allows you as the actor to sort of step outside of what you're good at. And it allows you to get to places where you wouldn't go. Like if, if it, you were left on your own devices, you just do the stuff you're good at. And you'll be fine and people will be like, you were really good. Yeah, that's yeah. why you were cast. Yeah. Right. But when you have a director who's pushing you to go to these other places and be very precise and specific with every moment, you find that new things happen. Things that you wouldn't ever do yourself. Wow. But you're capable of. Right. And, and a good director like Hazen, a really good director, is is able to see that potential and say, if you go this place, it'll happen. You don't have to, you don't have to like judge yourself that it can't happen or that it won't. It will. It will. So that's been really rewarding experience. And nice. really, I think it just, the more that you work with people like that, the more that you broaden your range, the more that you tune your instrument, the more you just become a better open artist and it's amazing okay so what do you think about this romeo guy is he an idiot or what what's the story <laughs> romeo's not an idiot he's he's just like everybody else he's he makes like mistakes the next, well, every other the next makes... production of the uh, ensemble is romeo and juliet yeah, yeah so yeah no. we didn't say that <laughs> yeah okay yeah yes. he's he's not an idiot he's um he makes mistakes like everybody else and i but everybody in the play makes a lot of mistakes yes uh it's it's why it ends in tragedy um he, he's, he has a capacity to love like nobody else. That gets him into trouble, but also has some of the greatest joys in his life. Right. He's but passionate. He, he's passionate. He loves, but he also um, doesn't think very far ahead. He's hasty and he's impatient. Yeah. He's young. He's young. Yes. He's very young. Yeah. But, but Juliet isn't as impatient and she's younger. You know, he, he has an impatience that's kind of on another level. And it leads to a lot of the things that happen. But it's also not like he, he's not the bad guy. He just, he just 
went through a sequence of events that and he gets into to a bad gets situation. in over his head. He's yeah. a kid who gets in over his head. Yes, yes, really, yes. is what yeah. happens. Yeah. So you fall in love, and with the wrong person. I mean, a lot of people can relate to that. Not that she's the wrong person for him, but the wrong. The world says it's the wrong yeah. person, Got and it, that yeah. leads to all of these problems. And then it's constantly trying to get one step ahead of all those problems, and you never can. No. And it ends in everybody dying. So, right. that, you yeah. know, that's the lesson, I guess. Is so, so, it be sounds very modern. <laughs> it just occurred to me what, whether it would be an interesting idea to kind of think about what if Romeo were not to have died and, like, became a middle-aged man, an older became man. Like a like a cashier at a Sears. <laughs> like, whatever. I mean, like, he, <laughs> like we, we, he went beyond the tragedy of this, you know, of this romantic yeah. death. Romeo well, it's, it's interesting because it's so much, and especially with the approach that we've taken and that Hazen takes, is that you, there's a lot of things, especially in something as famous as Romeo and Juliet, that you take for granted as an audience, or even as a reader or as an actor. And when you step back and you just say, like, what if this was the first time it's ever being done? And there are moments where you realize that are huge, like, almost moments. Like the moment that Romeo kills himself not a minute later, Juliet wakes up. Yeah. If he, if the fight yeah. with Paris had taken a little longer, yeah. if something had just taken that's a little a longer, you know, and it's Shakespeare's device. It's a device, but when you think about it, and it's just like that, that again with the hastiness of who he is, and and that right. it's yeah. it's saying something about the impetuousness of youth and things like that. But, right. Right. Yeah, and that's it, the device. Yeah. If but, you see it just as a device, it's not going to work as a play. Right. It's got to be part of his nature. But it's about but but we take you're those right. thi- we kind of take those things for granted cuz we know the story. Yeah. But if you don't know the story and you're watching it and you're thinking what almost like what if? It's very plausible what if he didn't die. Right. If right, she woke right. up a minute later, he wouldn't have. Right. And yes. so it's things like that. That makes it even more tragic. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. And that and that's the part of the tragedy we sort of take for granted is all of these what ifs or like what if what if uh, Tybalt didn't get so angry or what if what if the friar had just told everyone what happened yeah that they were married or and things Mercutio like that didn't get so crazy right and it's like what if all these things didn't happen it's right. all just a bunch of things falling in dominoes right. these yeah. awful dominoes because that's how it did happen and oh, that's I how love, it i'm right. really looking think forward we, to seeing it i think we all kind of like or i sometimes will go to sleep and i'll go like oh what if i hadn't said that yeah exactly you yeah. know what if i i mean it could so just be very times, small right? it's like i know I'm you so, have that thought so yeah. many times i do right? i do i do i'm going to go a little bit out of order because <laughs> i think this this is right we're talking about acting now mm-hmm. and i know that he's in one of your favorite actors anthony Sher. Yeah, I do. I do. Is he or not? Yeah, no, I do. I he's not. I wouldn't say he's one of my favorites because I haven't seen that much of his work. Okay. But I I read his his book Year of the King a, a while ago, mm-hmm. a long time ago, and um, uh, I saw him in in King. You're probably talking about King when I saw him in King Lear. Right. You mentioned podcast. that in your podcast. Yeah, and, and that's he, what he's brought pretty it up. pretty amazing. Right. Uh, oh. And I've seen him in a few other things, like glimpses of of, of his work. But I think he's amazing. He's yeah, and I, I I'm bringing him up because your 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 um, statement earlier, or your explanation earlier, that the really fine actors are the ones that make the point so clear. Yeah. And have their intentions so clear mm-hmm. that. And so real, so human, mm-hmm. and yet so solid. Like life is solid. Life mm-hmm. is not, you know, when life happens, it's solid. It, right, it, it yeah. happens. And I wanted to play a piece from uh, his Macbeth. Yeah. His tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow speech. He's learned mm-hmm. his wife has died. Mm-hmm. And um, he, this, when, I, when I looked at it again, um, 
all of a sudden I went, yo, do, no, that's what this is about. Mm-hmm. And it came, it was like so clear to me. Let me play it. Okay. And then I'd like, I'd like, I'd like to hear your, your, your response to it. So here's Anthony Sher, and this is the Tomorrow, Tomorrow, Tomorrow speech. The Queen, my lord, is dead. She should have died hereafter. There would have been a time for such a word. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day. of recorded time and all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death out out brief candle <sighs> life's but a walking shadow a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Yeah. Uh, response, reply, uh, uh, reaction. Reaction. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's pretty remarkable. I don't... I, and of course, I, we're just hearing I, it. We're not seeing yeah, it. Yeah, but you can see it, too. I'm... I, uh, I mean, I don't have that much to say too much about it, but the um, I I'm pretty unfamiliar with Macbeth. I've seen it several times, mm-hmm. and I don't think I don't know if I've ever read it. Maybe I read it in, in high school, mm-hmm. um, and I've seen obviously seen a lot of scenes from it and things like that. Yeah. And I went to sleep no more. <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, no, I, I think that there's there's something about Shakespeare. There's something that happens when people begin to when actors in particular uh begin to work on shakespeare or when they work step in front of a film or or, uh, a camera rather or even when they uh uh, begin to think that they have to improvise like on improv stuff there's a um a whole range of habits that's that start to affect people because of the idea of what that thing is supposed to mean. So when when you see people, uh, especially in America, uh, they um, when they start to do Shakespeare, they take on a kind of voice. There's this kind of intonation. There's this uh, breathy quality, or there's a, a kind of louder quality. These these imitations that start to. I also uh, notice that there's kind of a movement quality too. There's kind of a back and forth kind of a movement. There's kind of yeah, like an energized meandering. movement. Uh, meandering. There's a meandering. Yeah. And, and the point is that, like, I did, um, I, I studied for a brief, I think it was like four days or something, with this remarkable teacher. Her name's Patsy Rodenberg. She's a very, very famous uh, voice teacher. And she, you mentioned her. And in she's, your she's also, like, friends with Anthony Sher. Uh, and um, she is the voice coach for Dame Judi Dench, Ian McKellen, and, uh, like, you know, I, I think she's worked with Daniel Day-Lewis as well. And uh, so I, I was working with her for a while, for those four days. And then I took this, uh, oh, that this tutu sullied flesh to Austin because I was studying with Austin at the same time. And 
uh, when I I did this speech with Patsy, it was great. It was like it was it was very connected and and really engaged. I felt uh, kind of alive when I was saying this this text. And then I took that same those same kind of general uh, general principles over to Austin. I did it, but not with the same kind of uh, effect that you have when you're in front of a great teacher uh, a great teacher with. Uh, when you're working six hours a day and your instrument is finely tuned versus just dropping into class and trying to create an idea of what I had done before. And so I did this idea of what I had done before in front of Austin, and I sat down. You, you do work in front of Austin, then you sit in front of his desk, and, and he talks to you, and he's, he says... Oh, it's so a what? one-on-one thing. Well, you, you do... You, the class is still there, but okay. you sit in front of his desk, and he basically talks to you in front of everybody about what's going on with your work. And so I finished doing that speech and I sat in front of him and and he didn't say what can you tell me instead he said that was the worst thing I've ever seen you do that, that's Austin's uh, famous and, line after a, a scene or a monologue oh, so says, you have heard, you heard that before yeah so he oh, well, well, no 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 what, what can you tell, you tell me, me he, is what he says to everybody when he doesn't say that something is off or, or something <laughs> or something's great. great but but he says that's the worst thing I've ever seen and you do and what did you feel in that moment well I felt I agree <laughs> I, I agree this was because I was acting and then I started trying to talk to him about these generalized principles that I had just learned from Patsy Rodenberg that I thought I had mastered and so I was saying these <laughs> kinds of things and he turned to the class and said this is really important because you can see how confusing all of this is all of this acting stuff and the idea I mean the one thing that he said that is really important is that it's the exact same as anything else it's the exact same process as as whether you're working on Shakespeare or you're working on any other text it's exactly the same but the reason why that, that speech that uh, Anthony Sher put uh, is so great is because he understands the words that he's saying. That's all you, you understand and you, you embody, not just embody, but you understand the images, you understand the associations that one has when they begin to speak yeah. and yeah. all of the circumstances that are in place in that moment when he's talking yeah. versus trying to d- generalize a concept that these words are going to work for you or something. Right. And that, that happens to a degree. Yeah, I didn't hear an actor. No, you hear I was envisioning the person. Yeah. And the the difference with Shakespeare and anything else is just the circumstances are so dense. Every single word is so specific. And and it and and there is a rhythm to the words that starts to guide you into that helps you connect to a specific kind of emotion and a specific uh, how the character is relating to the circumstances. Mm -hmm. So all of these these are amazing clues. There's just more clues in Shakespeare. But you still have to be aware that when you start to tell an actor to do Shakespeare, they're going to start to put on this voice. They're yes. going to start to, their body is going be to be... Be or not to be. They're, they're, yeah. they're going to, like you said, they're going to begin to meander. And the reason yeah. why they're meandering is because they don't have a concrete understanding of what the environmental circumstances are. They, they, you start meandering because you have no idea what place you're in. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the meandering also comes from in, in the long, in speeches that are longer than you're normally used to talking. And... Um, or the way that they're talking about very heightened things. People aren't used to talking that heightened for that long. And so they meander because they don't understand every single specific little moment. And so that's 
uh, what ends up happening is like Hazen saying generalized stuff is happening and they're trying to find their way through it and it leads to a lot of backing and forth and all yeah this because stuff. You, I mean you got to do something yeah right you're, you're in front yeah. of the audience and, and and it's it's really it's the job of the actor and to to make peace with how long you go on talking and that every single thing is different that it's not just one thing that there's specific differences from every line or every thought the right. same way that you do in life and it's just a different sort of structuring of language and different words that we don't really use today but it's all the same stuff right and right. you got to make peace with that and then allow that to be your it takes own. an enormous amount of bravery to yeah. say the word same word three times tomorrow tomorrow and tomorrow yeah and say it so that each one is its own thoughts. Subtly this is, different. This is one of the, the issues in, in talking about acting is because people, and this is why Austin Pendleton is a amazing teacher, and I think that it's important that you that people who study with him study with him on kind of an ongoing basis because what he basic, basically does is recalibrate your brain to take out the idea that life is different than acting. Uh, and and when you begin to do that, you see that you you just have to be more patient and that precision thing. So you 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 can so you figure out first why you say tomorrow tomorrow tomorrow. That right. There are you you don't just you don't just say well I kind of have a general idea so I'm just going to say it. You have to take the time. I there's this woman yeah. who came to Michigan State, Susan Laurie Parks, who uh, is Pulitzer Prize winning playwright. She's amazing. Uh, the theatrical force and she came to our school and one of the things that she said is one of the main pieces of advice that she gave everyone in terms of being an artist period is to have a really good interior bullshit detector you have to know when you're saying a word and you have no idea what it means you have to know when something when you're saying something and you you don't understand what the environment is right the and the most honest honest thing to do is say i don't get what's going on yeah you can say that and that's okay but but you know that okay i don't i don't get what you, you don't have to stress out about it you just say oh i haven't figured that out yet i figured it out right and then, and then you work on all the other stuff and then you go you go back to that and you you keep making sure right. that the the work is when, when we say that our mission statement is about fully realizing uh, work. Wonderful conversation. I, I love talking about acting. Um, I tried to be an actor and just never was able to kind of like commit to it. Yeah. I, I totally honor you two for, for, you know, pushing yourself into, not pushing yourself, falling into it, falling <laughs> into this wonderful thing that, that, that you're doing. Um, but... Um, but we were curious about your uh, your um, the podcast too. So yes, we listened to the podcast. So why did you decide to have a podcast? To be, do. you know to do with the theater, having to do with the theater. So much of greenhouse is about taking all of these different art forms and uh, kind of intermingling them. What I I I think I started doing the podcast mostly because I meet with so many artists. That really was the, the point. I was having so many conversations with so many different artists, and they were really wonderful conversations that I wanted to, to create a record so that people could begin to see how many amazing artists are out there that you have no idea who they are. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the same thing went with musicians, too. I know so many amazing musicians, and nobody has any idea who they are. Oh, I love the song, um, The King... 
Oh, from Gwen and the Green Knight. Yes, King yes, King Louis. That's yeah, gorgeous. we love that song. Yeah, they're amazing. Where did you get that idea of like throwing in music in between the conversation? I think it's a it's a great idea. Well, yes. we've always for all of our shows we do a thing called an art party beforehand. So we have we'll have a play, but in the beginning we'll feature different like an art gallery of artists. Are uh, you doing that for Romeo and Juliet? Well, with Romeo and Juliet, it might be a li- it might be the first time that we we don't because oh. of the space. The space is um, there's not really a lot of room to do is something new, like that. Is this a new space for you? It's well, it's at Pushkin Hall, which Spencer and I've worked worked out of um, uh, with the Russian Arts Theater and Studio. But there's and not this is the a lot gorgeous of Presbyterian church on West 86th 80s, Street in Amsterdam. Yeah, 86th yep. in Amsterdam. That big red building. Right. Yeah, right. the balcony right. theater's upstairs and Pushkin Hall's right downstairs from there. Right. Yeah. It's an amazing building. It's always been covered over with, uh, uh, there's been scaffolding on it forever. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. there still is, but now they're using it as kind of advertising. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. okay. But... Um, so yeah, I was having a lot of a lot of conversations, and I it's it's about in, we we always did these art parties, and we always had art galleries and also live music happening. So it's just another opportunity. Uh, so much of of greenhouse is just about giving people opportunity. That's like if you wanted to sum up what greenhouse is, it's it's giving nice people opportunity who are really or nice really dedicated artists opportunity. So it is a Great. greenhouse. The lights let you're letting the light in, and that is the all the plants that are there are gonna yep. are gonna flourish because of the light. Yep. That's what that's artistic it. greenhouse. That's why it's in the in the mission and everything. Yeah. I wanted to get in because we're getting to the close to the end of our mm-hmm. hour of uh, the work that I am doing with you, Hazen, yes. and Nicholas Martin Smith of yes. the Hudson Warehouse. Mm-hmm. We are attempting to start a kind of a new thing here on the Upper West Side mm-hmm. called Upper West Side Radio. Um, I've been trying to push this thing. I'm so glad that Nicholas came to me and said, you know, I, I'd like to work with you on Upper West Side Radio. And then he invited you And he you said, in. I know this other guy. Yeah. <laughs> and now, and now we're, we, you, you, you two have been so busy with your summer productions. Right. Hopefully when we get, you know, into August, September, we'll be able to spend more time with it. What do you want to do with Upper West Side Radio? What, how do you see it? I see, um, I mean, when I talked to you, I pretty quickly said I want to curate it. Right, because I want to be able to take the same the same thing with with um, what we're doing with podcasts. But I want I know I'm I'm from Michigan, which is a pretty great place for music. And yet at the same time, I know I've been in the car so many times with people who complain about the radio and how there's just not you hear the same thing over and over right. again. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no there's no top room. 100. Yeah, yeah. There's no room to see the new really great music that's out there and vibrant i mean you can see little glimpses of it in our podcast but there's so much more than that yep and the the potential to be able to take really amazing artists that and no one has a, ever heard no one has ever heard and put this that there so you you get a sense constantly of the 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 real bubbling the real stuff that's happening with with artists in in new york city and anywhere in the united that's states great. and and at the same point there's you have an oversaturation of podcasts as well and Absolutely. and so you can do the same thing yep. you can begin to curate something that's th- that is uh, on the cutting edge of of new kind of this new radio digital expression right. and so that's really exciting on top of doing things that are live yep. broadcasting really great live stuff that and also there's with with Spotify with all these other these other things which are great uh 
you, you still get a sense of you get still too much oversaturation. You have so many choices that all of a sudden people become anxious to even open up their Spotify or anxious to, to do these things. I can't look. Yeah, well, it's the big menu problem. You might not notice it, but little tiny irritations versus if you have something that you can just kind of click on and see what's going on. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a, a satisfaction to, right. to that experience. So that, that's one of the reasons why I'm really, really excited about this. I'm so glad that's to hear great. that. I mean, the part that I'm, I, I want also is kind of develop this idea of community. Yeah, uh, and the, the voice of the community. I mean, all that right. you said, but also to get involved with the people that we live with, mm -hmm. the people, the businesses that are here, the artists mm -hmm. that are here, uh, and kind of find out where we are on the Upper West Side. These are the artists in your neighborhood. The neighborhood, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, we call this BCR episode a wrap. Uh, the Greenhouse Ensemble, again, is producing Romeo and Juliet which will open later this month, I guess, July 18th. Yes. yes. Uh, this week. is a podcast, so when people listen to this, July 18th will be passed already, but this is posting tomorrow. Okay. So, so <laughs> someone will get to hear it. Mm -hmm. um, you are directing uh, Hazen, yes. and uh, Spencer is playing Romeo, uh, and we talked a little bit about it. And uh, is there anything else you want to say about Romeo and Juliet, about the concept? or? Uh, no, I mean, the, the, the big concept is, is that there are a lot of people uh, from a lot of different kind of classes and, that are all around us, and we, uh, we're often invisible to each other. And so I think the, the biggest takeaway, I hope, that we get from Romeo and Juliet is yeah. to uh, be a little bit more sensitive to those who are in our communities and uh, be as kind to those people that sometimes we ignore. Thank you, I want to thank Hazen uh, Kyler and Spencer Scott for joining us today on the Gephardt's Beer Culture Porch for a conversation about theater and acting and the Greenhouse Ensemble and Upper West Side Radio. Yeah. Okay, we've come to the end of another edition of Bar Crawl Radio, sweetheart. This is our half-century episode. Ah. Number 50. We've done 50 of these damn things, and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, and we're going to keep doing it, right? I mean sounds like you're talking about as if we're walking off into the sunset No, no, here. no, no sunset yet. We're planning many more episodes. You gotta do another 50. You gotta get to 100. There we go. For instance, Becky and I will be traveling to Jasper, Alberta, Canada uh, in, uh, in pretty soon to talk with Glacier Guide Peter Lemieux at the Jasper Park Is Lodge that really Bar. how you say it? I don't know. I just oh, made that up. Okay. It, sounded, it sounded French. Lemieux. Well, we'll have Maybe to ask him for it. sure. And we'll be talking about the melting of the north, which sounds a little bit like Game of Thrones. Uh, yeah. It is a tragedy. So we're walking on a glacier. And we'll have a conversation with art experts on the history of this Joan of Arc statue in Riverside Park. And did you know that this statue was designed and built by a woman? I did not. Anna Hyatt Huntington. Did not know that. And we're in an episode about those statues we hate and love, like the Teddy Roosevelt statue. Yes. In the American Museum of Natural History. Him on a horse, slave, and Indian, in American, uh, Native American below. So we'll, yes. we'll talk about that. And... Um, you have any thoughts on a BCR topic? Email us at barcrawlradio at gmail.com. And once again, we thank Gebhardt's Beer Culture Bar for hosting BCR. And remember, the, the best, best conversations, conversations happen, happen at, at your, your neighborhood, neighborhood bar. bar. There you go. Okay. That's a podcast. Yeah. That was well, fun. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys that so much. Fun. That was great. I, I, I find we do these things.